Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In their book, First Things First, authors Stephen Covey and Roger and Rebecca Merrill, they ask this question. What is the one activity that you know, if you did it superbly well and consistently, would have significant positive results in your personal, professional, or work life? Let me say that again. What's the one activity that that you know, if you did it superbly well and consistently, would have significant positive results in your personal, professional, or work life? Stephen Cole, a former pastor in Southern California, he encouraged his congregation to apply this question, to direct this question to their Christian walk. What's the one activity that, that if you did it superbly well and consistently, would have the most positive results on your walk with God, in your relationship with Jesus Christ? In other words, what is the most important thing you and I could be doing to foster a deeper relationship with Christ? I believe our short text this morning answers this question for us, helping us see what is most important, or as our text calls it, the one thing necessary. At its heart, this question is really a question of discipleship. What is the best thing that that we could be doing with the time that God has given us as disciples of Christ? What is it that is central to our life as his disciples? And this question is important for each of us here this morning. Uh, If you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, either new to the faith or further along in your walk, there are a few questions more important then how can I grow in my faith? What is the most important activity in my walk with God? What should be my priorities as a disciple of Jesus? But maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're just exploring what the Christian faith is all about. This text is important for you too because you have a chance this morning to see what marks the Christian life. What is Christianity all about? What are the priorities of a disciple of Jesus? What is it that is most important, the one thing necessary? And so we're going to look at at this important uh, discipleship question in three parts. Discipleship distractions, discipleship demeanor, and discipleship delight. So that's distractions, demeanor, and delight. We'll begin with discipleship distractions. In our text today, we meet the sisters Martha and Mary. Uh, There's good reason to believe that Martha was the older sister here and thus responsible for their house and actually welcoming people to it. Martha and Mary, they they lived there with their brother Lazarus, who who we meet elsewhere in the Gospels. And they lived in Bethany, just beyond the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. 
This made their house a very convenient location for Jesus and his disciples to stop at. And that's exactly what we see them do here in our text. Verse 38 tells us that Jesus, and presumably a good number of his disciples, they entered the village of Bethany and Martha welcomed them into her home. For Martha uh, to welcome Jesus, this was no small thing. Um, It's very likely that this would have been uh, expensive for her. Uh, It's likely that Martha was a a widow. And it was also somewhat dangerous for Martha to welcome Jesus. Jesus was uh, becoming a, a, a controversial and divisive figure. And with Martha's close proximity to Jerusalem, this meant that there could be significant backlash for this invitation. But Martha, despite these real and and pressing obstacles, she willingly and graciously opens up her home to Jesus. She's happy uh, to welcome them in and provide a space where they can rest. And then Martha, as any good host would do, she begins preparing a meal for her guests. Now, uh, there was no Uber Eats or DoorDash for Martha, no no freezer meals or, or frozen pizzas she could quickly pop in the oven. There was no shortcut for hospitality for Martha. Um, In Genesis 18, in the Old Testament, we read that Abraham, he actually prepared a meal for three guests. And it it tells us there that he not only had to gather the supplies, but he had to knead the bread before it was baked. And then he actually had to slaughter an animal and prepare it before he and his guests could eat. Admittedly, that story is many, many years before this. But the pace of food had not uh, changed much. There still would have been lots to do, lots of preparations to make in order to feed Jesus and his disciples. So Martha, she gets to work. Cooking, cleaning, baking, preparing, and yes, maybe, maybe even slaughtering. Her guests needed to eat, and she was going to do all that needed to be done to provide a meal and a restful space for her guests. Imagine for a moment Jesus was coming into your home this afternoon. I'm sure it would be an all-out effort to clean up, to, to tidy the home, and prepare maybe your, your, your favorite, most extravagant recipe. This would be like an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing. Everyone's help would be needed. Jesus is coming. This seems to be exactly what Martha thought. But not everyone in the house was on the same page. Martha, amidst the busyness of preparation, at some point realizes, Where, where's Mary? Why is no one helping me? Does nobody understand who's in our house? How inconsiderate to leave me alone with all the things, with all the preparations that need to be done. If you're here and you've ever had siblings or a spouse, you've lived with roommates or with children, You'll know preparing for house guests or just doing chores in general seem to be the cause of many, many arguments when you live together. Most likely at some point in your life you fought over dishes or garbage or laundry or cleaning the bathroom or maybe even how to load the dishwasher. Why is that? After all, these tasks, they're, they're fairly straightforward. I think these simple household chores often expose our priorities. What we think is most, or maybe even least, important. They expose what we value and offer, and offer a glimpse into how our hearts operate. 
And when these things are then combined with other people, that causes tension because we prioritize different things. For some, for whatever reason, the priority might be a clean house. For others, it might be more downtime or genuine conversation over and against something else. But whatever it is, these contrasting priorities cause tension. Martha understands this tension better than we know. She is sensing the injustice, the unfairness of the situation with each task finished and the tension growing. You can imagine, Martha, I don't know if you've ever done this, but setting each dish down on the counter or table maybe slightly harder or slightly more intensely than the last, maybe trying to gather some uh, attention or sympathy from her sister. And she can't help but wonder, where is my sister? Where is Mary? Why is no one helping me? As the preparations continue, she eventually cannot contain her frustration any longer. And so she breaks arguably the number one rule of hospitality. And that's arguing in front of the guests. Jesus, no less. Hurt, exhausted, frustrated, Martha puts Jesus in the middle of an awkward family fight. Certain Jesus would take her side, distracted by her serving, this is what she says. Martha asks, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, help me. But Jesus, he doesn't respond as Martha thought that he would. Rather than tell Mary to to get up and help her sister, as if Jesus wasn't somehow already aware of the situation, verse 41 and 42, they tell us that Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, distracted with serving, full of anxiety and worry, is exposed. Her distraction and her worry end up leaving no room for the most important aspect of hospitality, gracious attention to the guest. Now, it's impossible to read through the Gospel of Luke and not notice the centrality of service and sacrifice in the Christian life. Hospitality, serving as Martha is doing in our text, cannot be separated from a life of following Christ. They go together. They're inseparable. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you should be regularly practicing hospitality. What Martha is doing here is good. It's commended throughout Luke, including earlier in our, in our chapter that we're looking at this morning, chapter 10. So where does Martha go wrong? It's a question about discipleship distractions, and about what is most important. And ultimately, we see that Martha is distracted from the one thing necessary. Her service has actually become a distraction from what is most important. Her priorities have turned upside down. And again, it's not hard to imagine why. I mean, you and I are so often alike. It's very likely that Martha was anxious over how she pleased or impressed Jesus and her guests. She was troubled at the thought that her home and her serving might reflect poorly on her and her family. What will Jesus think of me? Will he like me? Will he like us? Have we done enough? Do you think we'll be good friends? And this is such a slight slide that turns hospitality and other forms of service 
into ultimately self-centered activities geared to boost our ego or status, or we can use them to try to justify ourselves. Our hearts, they so easily twist service and hospitality into self-centered activities, service full of distractions. I know this from my own experience. It's so easy to begin to think, hopefully our guests leave our house and notice how kind, or how generous we were, how good the food was, or maybe how nice our house is, or how well-behaved our children were. Right? Suddenly these distractions overtake and our service becomes about us, not the people we're trying to serve. One commentator, he says, this kind of anxiety is so subtle. It is a selfish root but its fruit looks deceptively unselfish. It's the desire for approval dressed up to look like the desire to serve. It's my caring what you think of me dressed up to look like my caring for you. It can be so subtle that that we don't actually see it clearly. It looks so much like the right thing that we believe it is the right thing. That's why Martha, she was so confident that Jesus would agree with her about Mary. Martha Distracted with much serving. Her priorities were skewed. She was doing a good thing, a commendable thing, but she lacked the one thing necessary which turned her service to selfishness. What is it that distracts you from what is most important? Maybe it is serving, right? Maybe you are doing the right things, but you're doing them for the wrong reasons. Or maybe, maybe simply doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Maybe, maybe it's laziness or lust. Maybe it's a desire to be well-liked over faithfulness to God. Maybe it's a desire for power or money or notoriety. Or maybe it's a desire for comfort. These distractions are everywhere, even in our own heart. And they so easily turn us from what is most important to fleeting pleasures and desires. They twist our service into selfishness. And we end up serving for our own good rather than serve for the love of God and neighbor. And these distractions, they threaten to overtake the most important part of discipleship and rob us of the joy offered to us in service and hospitality. This brings us then to our second point, discipleship demeanor. So opposite of Martha in verse 39, we're told that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. There was much to do. There was much serving to be done, family reputations to keep intact, but Mary was at the feet of Jesus. You can imagine how easy it would have been for Mary to get caught up in the preparations and the work, but Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. This phrase, uh, to sit at the Lord's feet, this isn't just a description of Mary's place in the room. To sit at someone's feet uh, was a technical expression used in ancient times to indicate the intimate relationship between a disciple and a rabbi. Uh, For instance, Paul, uh, he cites his credentials to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and this is what he says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, brought into the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Right, to sit at one's feet then communicated a desire to learn, a desire to follow, and ultimately imitate the teacher. So here in this short phrase, we see Mary's discipleship demeanor. 
It's not just a position in the room. It's a position of her heart. A humility in one sense that leads you to the feet of Christ. And while it's easy for us to to contrast Martha and and Mary in our text this morning, uh, the placement of this text in the Gospel of Luke means that we ought to contrast Mary's uh, demeanor to the demeanor that we actually looked at last week, the demeanor of the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is what we heard last week. The lawyer, he asked, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How, How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You you have answered correctly. Do this, you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? This lawyer here, as we heard last week, he wasn't asking innocent questions. This educated religious scholar who knew the scriptures inside and out is trying to trap Jesus with his questions, trying to justify himself and get himself off the hook. He wants Jesus to submit to him. He wants Jesus to answer to him. And so despite his knowledge of scripture, he misses the one to whom it points. He's marked with pride and arrogance that is incompatible with Christ. But here, in our text this morning, we see Mary. Mary was uh, an uneducated woman. Uh, Typically in that culture, uh, women like Mary would have stayed at home and cared uh, for the home and the children. So this would have been scandalous to to Luke's early readers to see Mary at the feet of Jesus. But that's what we see. Contrasting the lawyer, we see Mary, an uneducated woman eager to sit at Jesus' feet eager to learn from him, to submit to him, and ultimately to worship him. And this is the one thing necessary, to enjoy fellowship with God, sitting at his feet, ready and eager to learn from him, to submit to him, and to worship him. Mary has chosen the good portion, the one thing necessary which cannot be taken away from her. Everything in the Christian life flows from this. We must first sit at the feet of Jesus to align our priorities with him, to posture ourselves at his feet, to learn from him, and to enjoy fellowship with him. We must recognize Christ is God himself, truth personified, the word made flesh, and like Mary, sit at the feet of Jesus. It is there where we can know him and his love, It is there at his feet where we can find peace and joy in his presence. It is there at his feet where we can find unending reasons for worship. This is the demeanor of a disciple, to sit at the feet of Jesus, enjoying fellowship with him as we learn from him, submit to him, and worship him. What is your demeanor like as a disciple of Jesus? Do you enjoy spending time with him? Do you enjoy learning from him, reading his word, praying, obeying, and worshiping him? How would you describe your relationship with him? Is it cold? Maybe more like a formal checklist, something that must be done. Or is it something you get to do, 
right? A, a miracle of reconciliation and healing and wonder as you draw near to Christ himself. Is your prayer life, is it a list of things you want? Uh, do you kind of treat God like some sort of genie that can get you your earthly desires? Or are your prayers a time of genuine affection and enjoyment where you can commune with God and share your heart? Are you more eager to please Christ and, and live for him or to pursue your own wants and desires, to, to please yourself or the people around you? Here's the truth. If you and I are honest, there are times in our lives, more than, than we'd probably care to admit, where our spiritual life is not where we want it, where we don't live like the disciples that we ought to be, when our demeanor isn't at Jesus' feet, but rather it's a demeanor of independence or indifference, where the genuine answer to these tough questions reveal a spiritual life that is cold and distant, that is far from the feet of Christ, a spiritual life that, that takes a back seat to the busyness our lives demands, demand of us, Right, where distractions reign and our hearts chase worldly affections instead of relishing the reality of the privilege to be discipled by Christ himself. If that's where you find yourself this morning, what are we to do? What are we to do about this? And this brings us to our third point, discipleship delight. How do we become disciples? How do we become people who delight in Christ? who find enjoyment, like Mary did, sitting at his feet, right? who love to do the one thing necessary, and in doing so, choose the better portion. How do we become people who don't serve others for selfish gain or for twisted reasons, but rather serve God and neighbor out of a true, genuine love and care? Our answer begins with seeing what Luke is telling us about Jesus in our text. Note Jesus' response to Martha. In verse 41, we, we see this double mention of Martha's name. And this actually reflects a pattern in, in Scripture that, that points to tender comfort. It's a glimpse into Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Right? He, he knows Martha's need and he knows our every need better than we know ourselves. Right? He, he knew exactly what Martha needed to hear and he knows exactly what we need to hear. For Martha, Jesus offers the tenderest rebuke possible, which actually doubles as an invitation. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But one thing is necessary. Sit at my feet. Listen to my words. Know that, that you are valued not for what you do or how well you do it, but for who you are as a child of God. Throughout Luke's gospel, Luke makes it clear that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is God himself who has come to dwell with his people. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and also a tender-hearted counselor who, despite his holiness, righteousness, perfection, and power, invites Martha and ultimately you and I to sit at his feet to learn from him and fellowship with him. Despite our sin, our temptation to let distractions overtake us and our own selfishness, we are never a bother to him. We're never put on hold. We'll never meet Jesus as a counselor who is tired, frustrated, or distracted. 
How can this be? <laughs> Why on earth <laughs> would the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the sustainer of the universe want to spend time with you and me? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And we see this love on full display when we see Christ as our Savior on the cross. See, his body broken, his blood shed for our forgiveness. Christ, he came in the form of a servant to liberate us from sin and death so that we might live before him at his feet and love, worship, and serve him now and forever. In the ultimate act of selfless service, Jesus gives himself, and he does so with joy. In Hebrews 12, that's what we read, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Christ, we find perfect submission, perfect service, and perfect delight. And in Christ, we find perfect satisfaction. It's in him that all our sin is paid for and all our deepest longings are met. If we want joy and delight, they are to be found in Christ alone. Maybe you're here today, though, and you've given scripture and maybe even prayer, you know, a, a real good effort. But you still can't seem to find joy. You still don't seem to delight sitting at his feet. You've been trudging along, but the desert seems long, it seems dry and lonely. Duty reigns. What do you do? Tim Keller, in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, he gives this helpful quote, which is written in the context of marriage, but I think it equally applies to our topic this morning. This is what he says. In any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. Or you could say your feelings of joy dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love, despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender or sympathetic or eager to please, but in your actions you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you'll not only get through the dry spells, but, but they will become less frequent and less deep. And you will become more constant in your feelings. This is what you can happen if you decide to love. Our quest for delight at the feet of Christ is no different. There can be frightening long stretches of dryness, but Keller's advice applied to our passage is to ironically, simply, sit at Christ's feet. Commit to learn from him, submit to him, worship him, as he instructs us in his word to do. Doing this, not to earn God's favor, but because he's already given it to us. And as we do this, as Christ is revealed to us, delight is sure to follow. This, of course, isn't easy. Uh, discipline, uh, obedience can be very costly, and it can be very difficult, particularly when you don't feel like it. But it does ultimately bring delight as we grow in our intimacy with Christ. Our calling is high. Uh, delight in learning, submission, worship, and service doesn't come to us naturally. And so we must get our priorities right. We must first sit at the feet of Christ, consistently reminding ourselves of his great love for us, and then letting that move us towards service. 
each week uh, before our service begins. Our, our volunteers gather to pray at, at 9.30. And so often we simply ask for help, recognizing that, that if left to ourselves, we have nothing. We desperately need God's help. Regardless of where you are in your discipleship journey, that would be a wise prayer for each of us to pray. We desperately need God's help. We need his wise counsel. We need his saving power. Apart from him, spiritual growth, a deepening relationship with Christ, marked with joy, the desire to listen to his wise counsel is not possible. We cannot do it on our own. Each of us ultimately need his spirit to work in us, changing us and our desires to be more like Christ. We must be empowered by his spirit to sit at his feet and serve him and, in his, and serve him, sorry, and his people with delight. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, he doesn't leave us alone uh, to do this. In addition to his spirit that empowers us, he has given us each other, the church, to help and encourage one another as we seek to sit at the feet of Christ. So on that note, just a few quick points of application before we finish on how we can help each other sit at the feet of Christ with joy and delight. First, if, you're, if you aren't spending regular time in God's word, try joining our Bible reading challenge to the word. It's on Slack, there are our daily readings, and there's actually some built-in accountability. If that's something, if you've checked it out and that seems too ambitious, uh, talk to Mike or myself and we'd be happy to provide you with a reading plan uh, that works for you and provide some accountability if that's what you'd like. Second, and these are quick, there's four, we'll go through them pretty quick, don't worry. Uh, Second, make your home a place where you can sit at the feet of Jesus together. Matthew Henry, a commentator, he suggests visits of our friends should be so managed as to make them turn to a spiritual advantage. In other words, read together, pray together, ask the difficult questions of one another, and serve each other with joy. Third, let sitting at the feet of Christ compel you to serve alongside each other. As we see more and more of his beauty, and his love, and selfless service, to welcome us in, not just as guests, but as family. Let that melt your heart to the incredible needs around you and begin to serve, to, to imitate Christ in, in word and deed, both here at Christ Church, whether that's informally or more formally, but also here in our city. Fourth, and finally, and I know we, we've touched on this already, but let me say it again. It seems like maybe a significant problem Uh, for many. (laughs) Maybe delight feels far off. Maybe you feel weighed down and sitting at Jesus' feet feels like just another thing to do that's going to make you feel guilty and shameful when you fail to do it. Maybe you're looking at a list or a life that that feels incomplete and unsatisfying and you don't know what to do. Richard Sibbs, uh, a Puritan pastor in his book A Bruised Reed, this is what he says, Weakness with watchfulness will stand. Weakness with watchfulness will stand when strength with too much confidence fails. Weakness with acknowledgement of it is the fittest seat and subject for God to perfect his strength in. For consciousness of our infirmities drives us out of ourselves 
to him in whom our strength lies. If delight is far off, admit your need. Acknowledgement is half the battle, as cliche as that is. Confide in a friend and let them pray for you and encourage you. And then let each of us turn to our gracious and merciful Savior and Counselor, Jesus Christ. He has the power to turn our weakness into strength, to overcome our distractions and help us turn duty into delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help. We want to be disciples who sit at your feet and serve you and your people with joy. Yet we admit, at times, this feels impossible. We ask for your forgiveness when we twist our service to our own ends and ask that you would empower us by your Spirit to live lives filled with discipleship delight and joyful service. Not to earn your favor, but because you've already given it to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Work in us, we pray, in his name. Amen.